happy Sunday, everyone. Welcome to week number one of Dirty Bible Words. Um, you need to prepare your heart today. It might snow tonight. <laughs> but we're going to find uh, hopefully some good joy and some good peace in the promises that God makes to us no matter what. A few years ago, on this very stage, at the grand opening, the first ever Sunday of this new building for our church, a pastor said a dirty word. The place was packed, just like it is today. People were watching at home, just like you are today. The lights were on, the microphone was live, and the pastor who stood right here, can you believe this, said a dirty word. I remember that because I was the pastor. <laughs> It wasn't my intention to say a dirty word. I was actually retelling a story about a conversation I had with my older brother, Chris. You know, brothers can sometimes be you poke at each other a little bit. So he poked at me. And I meant to call him a name that I thought was church appropriate. I thought. You know, it wasn't like Disney G-rated, but it wasn't PG-13, cover the ears of the children. I thought that's what the word was. But as soon as I said it, and I saw a bunch of you go, Ooh. <laughs> and a guy in our church who is like, you know, he's, he's pretty chill with words. He, he saw me in the lobby. He said, seriously? You know, I realized I had crossed that line and I had said a dirty word. And no, Gary, I'm not going to repeat the word. I know you want me to, but we've scrubbed it from the YouTube footage. You can't find it unless you were there. But as I was thinking about that story and it made me think a lot about dirty words or curse words or swear words or inappropriate words. And here's what I realized about dirty words Dirty words depend. There's no official list in a dictionary that you can find of the good words and the bad words. Um, dirty words depend. It depends on where you are and with whom you are and when you are and what kind of people are surrounding you. Right? And you've seen this, right? Like back in the day, even Hollywood wouldn't put certain words into a movie. It was just inappropriate for that time in history. And yet now... I mean, those same words, you put them as the titles on book covers and prop them up on the shelves for everyone to see. We say these words in our speeches and you know, presidential gatherings. They're not inappropriate. They used to be, but things have changed. Or, are you old enough to remember some of those 1980s comedies that you thought were hilarious and then you watch them now and you think, ooh. Like, it used to be funny, but our understanding of certain words has changed. Even in the Bible, there's no page in the back. I mean, God cares about how you use your words, but he doesn't say, here are the Christian words and here are the non-Christian words. What offends people, what feels inappropriate or not, it really depends on where you are and when you are. So grab a pen and write this down. Here's my definition as we kick off this series of a dirty word. Dirty words are offensive here and now. All right, so maybe over there in another culture, another group of people, they wouldn't offend, but here they do. And maybe back in the day, people weren't bothered, or in the future, they won't be bothered. But right now, when we use them, it just, it feels less than appropriate. It feels like something you shouldn't say among mixed company. Dirty words are the words that are offensive here and now. And that's why I really want you to think about dirty Bible words. Did you know that there are some words in this book that Jesus was not embarrassed to say and the apostles who were filled with the Holy Spirit were not embarrassed to write? They don't come with an apology or an explanation or an asterisk. The words are right here, and yet when we read them today, there's something about them that feels, I don't know, not quite right. 
Uh, the words feel more dangerous than beneficial. They feel antiquated, old-fashioned, maybe not appropriate. I could, you know, read a passage, uh, let's say, about submission. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to the governing authorities. Submit to your pastoral leaders. And I bet there's something in you that would just, that would feel dangerous. It feels like that's something that could cause more harm than do more good. It feels offensive here. And maybe in other cultures, it's not the case. And maybe back in biblical times, it wasn't. But for us, it does. Or think about the D word, doctrine, dogma. Can you imagine if that was on the sign outside of our church? Free dogma inside. (laughs) There'd be more places to sit, I think. I mean, it feels controlling, manipulative, like we're brainwashing people into religious dogma. The word doctrine appears all the time in the Bible. It didn't bother people back then. But for us, something about modern America, it just feels off. Think about the concept of hell. Ask your grandparents. Um, They would have heard in church as much about hell as they did about heaven. But is that the experience today? You'll find church art. Go to the Sistine Chapel and you'll see glorious depictions of heaven and just brutal depictions of hell. They weren't embarrassed by it hundreds of years ago. But today, in our culture, it feels like right. Controlling people with the torture and the flames and the fire. There are some things about us right now that just don't feel right, even though they appear in this book. And so here's my goal. My goal for the next few weeks is to try to figure out why is that? What is it about the culture that you and I live in, the the people that you and I love, that makes these certain words right here and right now feel offensive to us? Let's analyze our culture through the lens of these words. And then, let's ask ourselves the question, why would Jesus think these are not dirty words? If Jesus is the essence of truth and love, If everything he says and everything he thinks is for the good of your heart, your soul, and your eternity, why would Jesus so freely talk about these concepts and use these words that make us so nervous? So in the series, we're going to talk about the S word, submit. We're going to talk about the D word, doctrine and dogma. We're not just going to spell H-E double hockey sticks. We're going to talk about the biblical teaching of hell. And today, to kick things off, I want to talk to you about The F word. Forgiveness. And you might be thinking, uh, Pastor Mike, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) Like being forgiving. I want to be a forgiving person. We should forgive each other. That that doesn't bother me like the concept of hell. What's so bad about forgiveness? Well, give it a second. Um, Today you're going to find out that the Bible pushes the concept of forgiveness to uncomfortable extremes. That what Jesus said about forgiveness is so challenging and so difficult that it will offend part of you. And yet at the same time, the concept of extreme biblical forgiveness is our peace and our joy and the most amazing thing we can envision. Today, let's talk about one of the Bible's most offensive teachings, the concept of forgiveness. Now, a few of you who are here a few years ago might remember We had a whole sermon series on forgiveness where I compared sin to a stone. Like when someone sins against you, 
when they say something or do something or you need them to say something or do something and they're not there to do it. It's like they've thrown a stone that hits you and hurts you. But here's the thing. After someone else's sin hits, right here it sits. The thing that they did wrong is within arm's reach, which means you and I, when it comes to the people who've wounded us in small or big ways, we have a huge decision to make whether or not to forgive. What will we do with this wrong that has been first done to us? Let's talk about what forgiveness isn't before I have you fill in a blank of what forgiveness is. Uh, People these days, and I would say especially church people, get the Bible's definition of forgiveness wrong because they say things like this. Well, you gotta forgive and forget. You know where you find that in this book? Nowhere. Nowhere. In fact, it's pretty ridiculous. If you think that to forgive someone, you have to forget what they said or what they did, not only does that seem impossible 98% of the time, but that's not at all what God says. I mean, how... If you were raised with a verbally abusive mother, how could you possibly forget all of that? If you were in a relationship and someone wasn't faithful to you and they just controlled you and hurt you, how could you just scrub your mind of those memories? That's not at all what it means to forgive in the Bible. Nor does it mean to say something's okay. People get that confused too. Well, it's not, I, I forgive you, it's not a big deal. Or it's fine, it's okay. Actually, in the Bible, just the opposite. If you need to forgive me for something, it means I've sinned against you, and sin is such a serious deal that it led the Son of God to a cross. So if you choose to forgive someone, you're not saying that it it was fine, it wasn't a big deal, you know, we're only human. No, to forgive someone literally says you have done something that God declares as wrong, bad, in fact, evil, and wicked. You don't have to minimize the offense that someone did against you to forgive them of that sin. And... This is probably the most important if you're a Christian. To forgive someone who sins against you does not mean to eliminate every consequence of their action. I really hate this when like abusive spouses take advantage of their Christian partner by saying, well, you have to forgive me. Um, Yeah, I, I do have to forgive you, but I could still break up with you. You could forgive someone who's unfaithful to you and still file for divorce. You could forgive your abuser and still call the authorities and ask them to be brought to justice. You could forgive me for something I I did in our friendship, but maybe you couldn't trust me again. You could forgive someone at school who hurt you and yet still avoid them. To forgive doesn't mean like we go back to the way things were. Sometimes sin comes with consequences. Sometimes parents forgive their children, but they still discipline them. In the same way, sin sometimes messes things up, and you can forgive someone even though the relationship has changed. None of that is what biblical forgiveness is. So let me define what it is. Write this down. Forgiveness, is my own definition, means to leave the stone alone. They sinned against you, and here's the sin. You know about it. You remember it. It hurts you deeply. To forgive someone is to leave that stone alone. Even though I could pick this up and do to you what you first did to me, I'm going to leave the stone alone. Even though I could, 
Like, make you suffer like you made me suffer. Make you feel like I feel. I'm, I'm not going to pay you back. Vengeance is not mine. It's not eye for eye and tooth for tooth. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to let this go and leave it to God. I'm not going to use your wrong to justify my own because two wrongs don't make a right. You wronged me. I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to forgive. So what, what would that look like in real life? Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Maybe you can think of your own. Uh, let's imagine that you made fun of my physical appearance. Like, I've always kind of had crooked teeth on the bottom. I should have got braces. I didn't. You make some comment about it. I'm psoriasis a fair amount, which means I'm flaking like from the eyebrows up for most of the year, especially during the winter. But let's say you take some crack about the flakes on my shoulder, about the way that I look. What would it mean for me to forgive you? It means that I'm not going to instantly analyze you and find some flaw in your physical appearance. I'm not going to say, okay, bro, you're not exactly Chris Helmsworth older, more attractive brother, all right? I can, I can find some things that are not so beautiful about you, but instead of, you know, hurting you, embarrassing you like you embarrass me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the stone alone. That wasn't good of you, but I'm still gonna be good to you. I'm gonna forgive. Or imagine you get into an argument and that person just throws out all the good commandments of communication. They just wanna be right. They just wanna win. Has that ever happened to you? And they, you know, raise their voice which isn't right. To forgive means you don't match their sin. They bring up the past just to think that they're better than you. You could bring up their past too, but you don't. You leave that alone. You forgive them of their sin. They're not listening very well because they just want to be right instead of acting righteously. But instead of all the interruptions, just trying to be the one who wins, no, you're still going to do what's right. You're not going to match sin for sin, insult for insult. You're going to Forgive. People would understand if you picked up the stone. That's what most people do. But Jesus says, forgive. You're being a selfish spouse? Okay. I'm not going to be a selfish spouse. You are flirting with someone else? Okay, I can flirt with someone else. No. Not sin for sin. I'm going to choose to forgive every time I'm going to leave the stone alone. Can you think of someone... The relationship just isn't close. And the real answer is because there's a, a stone, maybe a bunch of them. It's just think about how you've reacted to that situation. God is calling you, don't get him back. You might need boundaries. There might be consequences, but don't, don't get him back. Leave that to me, God says. I'm calling you to forgive. That's what the Apostle Paul said here in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 13, Paul wrote, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's what God is calling you, what he's calling me to do, to leave the stone alone to forgive. Now, maybe you hear all that and you're still saying, no, okay, yep, not easy, but I can see why that's wise. I mean, right? If you don't forgive, you end up like those two inner city gangs where you do this and then they do this, but it's not even. It just goes back and forth and back and forth. So yeah, I can see 
why God would want all of his children to forgive? That's not super offensive, Pastor. Are you, you know, being a little bit much, trying to get people's attention, this dirty Bible word, the F word? Really, is it that bad? Well, get ready for this next section because there are three things about biblical forgiveness that push this concept to a, an offensive extreme. I want you to write them down. Here's the first one. The first thing offensive about biblical forgiveness is the size. Because Jesus does not limit the size of the sin that we must forgive. It might feel like a little annoying pebble of, you know, the tone in his voice. Or it might be something that just left you traumatized when you were younger. But Jesus says it's all the same. Forgive. I think about this sometimes when there's some court case after a horrific you know, crime and the survivors are left there with the person who is discovered to be an abuser of minors or here the shooter is and we have the moms and the dads of the kids who were killed and, and they get up to speak and have you seen this? And they say, I'm, I will never forgive you for what you did. I hope you rot in. If Jesus was in the courtroom, what would he say? Even him, forgive. If there's nothing so big in your past, there's no one who hurts you so deeply that Jesus won't look you in the eye with compassion for what's happened to you and say, even that? You say, Jesus, I mean, my mom just like, Every day, it was never good enough for her. I, I just grew up thinking I was trash. I, I had no self-worth. I, I had to go through counseling for years to escape. Her? Her? Well, I, th I thought when you got married, everyone keeps the vow. And then she didn't keep the vow. He didn't keep the vow. And I wanted to work on it, but they were done with it. And they went to court, and they didn't want my money. And they wanted the kids full time. Forgive someone like that? Jesus, he left me broke. She left me broken. You're saying there is no limit on the size of the sin you want me to forgive? And Jesus says no. There's no asterisk. It just says forgive. Now, if that weren't offensive enough, here's number two. Jesus also talks about the amount of forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness is not like the express checkout at the grocery store. A maximum, 15 cents. That's what Jesus' friend Peter thought. Here in Matthew 18, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some people think the original Greek of that verse should better be translated 70 times 7 times, 490 times, which is probably a hyperbole from Jesus. St. Peter, just don't count. Don't bother. Just keep forgiving. And that's crazy, right? I mean, if you and your friends by, were hurt by someone once or they trash talk you twice, maybe you give them a third strike, but seven times? 77 times? 490 times, and then I should keep forgiving? And Jesus says, mm -hmm. 
Like the person who didn't just wrong me and learn from their mistake, but they sinned and they sinned and they sinned. And you know, my mom's always this way and my ex keeps doing stuff like that. And my neighbor, he is never happy with anything. Yep, even the most serial sinner you have ever met, forgive. They will never reach the limit where you can flip from Christian forgiveness to Christian bitterness. The phrase is an oxymoron. Get rid of bitterness, Jesus says. Get rid of the arrogance, Jesus says, and just forgive. You, you may need to set some boundaries and stay away from people who continually hurt you, but you are never allowed to get them back. Instead, Jesus says, forgive. And then the most offensive part of all, number three, Necessity. Jesus says that if you will follow him, if you will be a Christian, you need to do this. Forgiving someone who hurts you is not extra credit or AP Christianity. It's not over time. It is what it means to be a Christian. Quick show fans, how many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer that famous prayer Jesus taught in Matthew 6, you know, our Father in heaven, that one. You might know it talks about forgiveness, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do any of you know what Jesus said immediately after he got done teaching that prayer? He gave a really quick, tiny sermonette. And here's what he said, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, you have to, he says. Now, this deserves a word of explanation. Jesus is not saying to those of you who really want to and you're really trying to, but it's so hard because it hurts so much. If you struggle to forgive your mom or your dad or your ex or whoever, and it's just been a battle for years, you are absolutely forgiven and absolutely safe with God. Jesus is speaking to people who think they don't have to and they don't want to and they don't plan to. Nope, he doesn't deserve it. I'm not forgiving him. I'm, I'm not gonna be nice to her, not after what she did to me. If Jesus says that's where you're at, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Christianity is a system of faith that is based on forgiveness. And if you don't want to base your faith on forgiveness, then you can't have the Christian faith. Embrace it or not, but it's not optional. Christians need to forgive. And this is what Jesus and the scriptures say to you and say to me. It doesn't matter what he did, it doesn't matter how many times she said it, you have to, you need to. Every day with every person, leave the stone alone. Turn the other cheek every time. Forgive for the thousandth word. Pray for those who persecute you. Go the extra mile. Love those who don't love you. Don't return evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Give people such shocking behavior when they deserve it the least. Every single time, God says, leave the stone alone. Now, if I were you, and I was hearing this for the first time, I would say, what? 
how? Hey, Pastor, you, you weren't there when me and my sister were growing up. How do, you, how do you expect me? I tried for years to save the relationships, the things that, that he said to me. Like, how? how what, why? Come, come on, help me. What, what makes this possible? How can I do this? Why would I think this is good instead of just an impossible standard? Those are the right questions to ask if someone has hurt you deeply in this life. And here is a simple answer. How? Why? Because God started it. Because if you know the God of this book, you believe that he started it. Uh, Reminds me of the story of Elizabeth Elliot. You heard that name before? Elizabeth Elliot was married to Jim Elliot. They were a fresh-faced, 20-something, newlywed couple. And Jim Elliot had a passion to share this news of Christianity with people from other cultures. And that's why Jim, for two or three years, studied the language of a tribe from eastern Ecuador called the Horani people. He studied, he studied, he studied, he invested so much time into his life. And then for months, he and his friends flew a little plane over the jungle, making contact with this remote tribe, dropping gifts to show their kindness and their good intentions. One day, in fact, they landed the plane, they got out, and they met with a group of Horani warriors and had an amazing exchange. Kindness, gifts, love. They hoped it would open a door for them to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, But soon, the door slammed shut. The next time Jim Elliot and his friends landed, a group of warriors came out of the jungle and murdered all of the men. Uh, Jim Elliot's body was found floating in a nearby river. Which meant that these men had picked up a boulder-sized stone and crushed this new wife's heart. Here she was with Jim's daughter, just 10 months old at the time of his murder. She'd never have her biological father again. So do you know what she did? She left the stone alone. In fact, Elizabeth Elliot herself started to study the language that her husband had studied. And after two years of pouring herself into the culture, she and now her three-year-old daughter went to move into the village with the very villagers who had murdered her husband and taken away her daughter's father. The rest of the story is almost too good to believe. You can read about it online after church is done. It was so good, in fact, that they made a huge movie out of it, the story of Jim Elliot and his wife Elizabeth. But when the script writers wrote the story to the movie, did you know this? They lied. They felt they had to. As they were showing up front the news of the murder, trying to process the emotions of these people who had just been sinned against so grievously, the script writers wrote in bitterness and a lack of forgiveness and a desire for vengeance. In fact, when the family itself saw the script, they said to the ones making the movie, wait, 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 this isn't how it was. I never hated those men. We never wanted to get back at them or get even which the writers knew, but here's what the writer said. Your mom, Elizabeth, knew God. Most people who see this movie don't know a God like that. 
That's how you do it. How do you forgive the people who sin so often in such big ways against you? Elizabeth's story says, when you know God. When you believe that the story of forgiveness didn't start when they threw that stone, but when you threw that stone, and yet God forgave. Remember the passage I read to you before, Colossians 3, verse 13? Here's what it says. Forgive, yep, as the Lord forgave you, past tense. Like before the present tense command comes to, to leave the stone alone, to treat that person in a gracious way, before that comes this, the Lord forgave you. Let me ask you a basic question of Christianity. How much did the Lord forgive you? When Jesus went to the cross on that Friday, did he just die for that time that you accidentally went over the speed limit? Well, he did. And? And the bigger sins, and the biggest sins, and the one you don't even want to think about. It didn't matter the size, he forgave. Did Jesus just give you one strike, maybe two at-bats, when he went to the cross for you? Nope. Didn't matter the amount, the frequency. Those of us who have histories of addiction know that if Jesus gave us a second chance, we would never make it. But instead, he didn't forgive once or twice or seven times or 77 times or 70 times seven times. He went to the cross with this unbelievable passion to forgive all of it. And the crazy thing was he didn't need to. You and I have a moral obligation to forgive because we are sinners ourselves. But Jesus was sinless. And yet, out of the goodness of his own heart, his mercy and compassion for people like us was so profound that he went anyway. And he forgave all of it. But write this down. This is the key to Christian forgiveness, is to remember that when it comes to you and Jesus, Jesus paid it all. All of it. The debt that you could not pay, he paid it all. He didn't split the check. He's not just the God of second chances. He is the Savior who looked at all of the sin, every sin, your worst sin, and said, I forgive you. In fact, the other day I was doing some math about the amazingness of Jesus' forgiveness. Imagine for a second, here's Jesus on the stage. And he looks at all of you and says, hey, I got a deal for you today. I'm willing to forgive 99% of the days that you have lived on earth. And all you have to do to get to heaven is be a good person 1% of your life. How about that? Just 1%, be like me, love God with your whole heart, love all of your neighbors as yourself, and I will give you paradise forever and ever. Which sounds amazing, until you do the math. And you say, mm, uh, average American life, 77 years, 1% is 0.77 years, or 282 days. So I have to be like Jesus for 282 days. Uh, I don't know if that's going to work for me. So Jesus comes back, says, okay, how about this? How about I forgive you for 99.9% of your life, and all you have to do to get to heaven is be good 0.1% of your life. Huh? Well, the decimal point, 0 0.077 years, 28.2 days. Just be like Jesus for the month of February, and you get eternity. Who's in? So Jesus comes back, says, okay, okay, how about this? How about this? 
I will forgive you for 99.99% of your life, and all you have to do is be good for 0.01%. Move the decimal point, 0.0077 years or 2.82 days. I'll drop you off at school on Monday. I'll pick you up after practice on Wednesday, and if you were just a good kid for 2.82 days, I'll let you celebrate with me for eternity. I told my daughter this yesterday. She said, Ooh. <laughs> 2.82 days. And you're getting... So Jesus comes back and says, okay, okay, how about this? How would I forgive you for 99.999% of your life and to get paradise in heaven where there's nothing wrong, all you have to do is be good 0.001% of your life. That's 0.00077 years or 0.282 days, which works out to 6.8 hours. Jesus says, I'll drop you off at the front door of work, I'll pick you up early, three o'clock, and all you gotta do is be a good person and you get heaven. And you walk in the door and Chuck walks in after you. Do you work with a Chuck? <laughs> Someone so hard to be patient, so hard to be kind, so hard to be forgiving. You start worrying about the first email that you get and you, you forget your trust and faith. And th think about that. If Jesus Christ forgave you 99.999% of the time, you would still freak out about being good enough to get to heaven. And that is why I love, love what the Christian faith says because it says you don't fix your karma. You don't balance your scales. You don't work hard enough to be a good person. Who could ever be good enough for God? Instead, we have a God who came down and he paid it all. You can pay for 99% of your sins or 99.9% of your sins or 99.999% of your sins, 100% of your sins, the biggest sin you've ever committed, the worst thing you've ever said, the thing you've struggled with for decades of your life. The good news is that Jesus paid it all. Now, what would it look like if you believe that today? What would happen to the 15-year-old girl who would look in the mirror and believe that today? Or the guy who messed up his marriage and just for years, he can't let it go. What would happen if he believed it? What would happen if we shook off this old religious idea that you got to earn it and we actually believed it's about Jesus and not me? Grace and not how good I am. Mercy and not this perfect life that I have lived. What kind of joy, what, what peace would we sleep at at night if we didn't believe that Jesus came down to split the check but he died on a cross to pay for it all? And friends, what would happen if that thought of God's forgiveness for us was so overwhelming that we could look at even that person and say, you know what? I was you. And I remember how God treated me. I've said some stuff that hurt God. It hurt his son very much. But instead, even as he hung, he said, Father, forgive. What would happen in your family? What, what bitterness would dissipate if you and I brought Jesus into the picture and we first looked up and then looked out, if before we tried to forgive, we would remember, oh yeah, the Lord forgave us, what, what would change? I think the world would. The world did. Did you know 2,000 years ago, forgiveness was a revolutionary concept? In the ancient Roman world, what mattered was honor. And if someone wronged you, you needed to defend your honor. 
no matter what the cost. To hurt someone who hurt you was honorable. You would protect your family name. And then came the teaching of Jesus. This crazy idea to turn the other cheek. To love those who don't deserve to be loved. Christians, change the world. I wonder if we could change it again. If you need help with that, I don't blame you. So I got some homework today to run over to our church's YouTube page, type in the word forgiveness to find a whole sermon series to help. Or to go to timeofgrace.org, jump onto the store. You can find books on forgiveness, a journal to help you work through the process of forgiveness. God wants to give you every resource that you need because forgiveness is not easy, but it is possible. Everything is possible when you start with a forgiving God. That's why I want to invite you to please stand. And we're going to pray a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. It's about God's will being done among us. It's about King Jesus being strong in our hearts. It's about God's name being lifted up as special. It's about forgiveness that we need and forgiveness that we give. Would you please join me in the classic words of Jesus, the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.